Hello and welcome to Maru Podcast. Maru is the Welsh word for death and this podcast is all about death, but not real dying. It's something much worse. I'm comedian Katie Gill-Williams and I'm obsessed with stories of dying on your arse, dying on your hoop, tanking, killing the room, eating shit. However it's described, it's that moment all comedians experience. And I get to interview those who have lived to tell the tale. So join me as I ask comedians to recount their worst gigs, what they learned, where did it all go wrong? And crucially, how do they keep going? If you do comedy, watch comedy, or if you're just generally disturbed and enjoy someone else's cringe, then listen as we delve into the world of comedy deaths. got the incredible Jessica Foster Q this week and although I did keep my cool when we were recording I was <laughs> buzzing inside and I hope that doesn't come across too much. She's got such an incredible energy and she does spark pure joy and this is absolutely her on stage too. I admire her style because it feels undeniably honest and her comedy feels real. Also she's just funny in the bones, deep down funny. She isn't just an amazing stand-up, which would be enough on its own, but she's a writer, a performer and a creative. Her podcasts are incredible. She has a huge following and I'm always happy to hear her when she's on The Guilty Feminist. Her show, Silence of the Nanas, is self-admittedly her most lucrative death. But we had a good chat about her other experiences, the lessons learned and how, just like her really, there is positivity to be found in every experience. Enjoy. I was doing some some improv, and um, it's very trendy again now. Um, I like improv. I wasn't Why? doing good improv. Okay. I was doing bad improv, and I don't know that there's anything worse than bad improv. Um, yeah. So, but I was I ended up in an improv group with some extraordinarily talented, very talented people. Um, Carrie Ad Lloyd and Paul Foxcroft and Sarah Pascoe and um, Gemma Whelan were all in my improv group and like now they're in Game of Thrones and they're national treasures. Um, but um I watched Sarah Pascoe start doing stand-up and I thought that looks really fun. I remember going to see her do some gigs you know, just open mic gigs and thinking, oh God, actually, that does look really fun. And it took me about a year to get brave enough to have a go. And I, even though I went in with bad motivations, even after one gig, which didn't go particularly well, actually, and I only had two minutes stage time, um, I um, I was hooked. One gig and I was hooked and it took over everything. Should you be shit for a bit? I guess you should. I was definitely <laughs> shit for a bit. I was shit for a bit, yeah. for sort of 10 years of a bit. <laughs> 10 years? No, ten, I reckon a ten years before actually, I felt like I was uh, a a definitely safe booking. And when I first started, I was very like frenetic and aggressive, and um, <laughs> that was masking fear. 
Yeah. But there were years of that. And then there were years where I basically did, I think probably like four or five different, I was four or five different types of stand-up in any 20-minute set. And it could work, yeah. but it wasn't conscious. And I'd, I wouldn't deal well with it when occasionally, you know, an elder comedian would point it out that like, you know, you've got, what you've got there is like, you're doing five minutes of sort of long confessional stuff. You're doing yeah. five minutes of one-liners and then you've got 10 minutes of sort of stories that aren't full enough of jokes. And I'd be like, all right, maybe well, that's just what I do. Unsolicited or what they say. I remember one in particular after, admittedly like a gross junglers weekend. Oh, I yeah. can't genuinely can't remember his, I can't definitely remember his name. But he did, I, mean, I don't even know if he's still doing it, He, but he did like, what sort of cheeky laddie and he was one of the first certainly on like the club circuit to be doing like a bit of like beatboxing and impressionsy type beatboxing stuff and it would slay it would absolutely be unfollowable (laughs) to um 200 stags and hens yeah and I was he was right I was like why did I have a bit of like I, I genuinely say out loud. Now it's time for my one-liners section. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's that's fun in itself. I don't know. I don't know why we. I'm only intrigued about whether you had it unsolicited this advice because I've just had. Oh no. A gig a couple of weeks ago, and the promoter like did this afterwards. Oh, okay, like, come here. So I went over, and he went, "This isn't a fee. It's notes." <gasps> And I just had like these handwritten notes and I just, I felt like such a dick, like the most vulnerable you can feel. And you're like, you know, the only thing I could equate it to was like giving someone notes after sex. Like, yeah, it was, it was so horrible. And then, yeah. And then I was like, is there any truth in it? I genuinely drove home for three hours and was like, fuck this. Like, I hate my everything about myself. I don't know who I am. I, I've always been blown away, certainly by comedians who are like, here's a thought for you. Um, <laughs> but, Annoyingly, one in 20 of those comments, and that is a tiny ratio, have been useful. Mm. Um, I think there's it's culturally different in different countries when you're a stand-up. Um, uh, and I think there are stand-ups who invite it, and that's also fine. I don't love it. I don't really want someone's opinion on... And, and, uh, and I've never once had someone go, you should put this on the end of that no and it worked ever oh, ever right, ever okay. ever never worked never worked no one's idea for my stand-up has ever improved it older men at gigs would always make try and encourage you to be filthier or say what a shame you're so filthy and that's mm-hmm. as a perfect sort of window into how impossible it is to be the right kind of woman in the world <laughs> But like, you know, you're like, oh, my God, even now, you know, I'll have one rude bit in a 30 minute set. And if there's a dinosaur on the bill, he'll say that that joke was good, as Mm. if to imply the rest wasn't. Um, It there I from bookers, promoters, I've had some of I've had. I've I've mainly had the worst advice has been from there. It's so hard. It's a spirit. Do you know what? It spills out into. um. And it's not stand up specific, but, you know, when you get notes on a script that you're writing and they'll come in and then a fresh wave will come in, maybe a few other people's take on things and it will come in again and again. And you've got to pick through 
reams and reams of people either saying things so that they feel like they're doing their job, saying things so that they feel powerful, saying things to fulfill their pay grade, saying things that are just stream of consciousness that they wouldn't necessarily be able to back up if challenged. And then one in maybe 20 of those thoughts will be gold and worth considering. And I do think there's annoyingly, and I find it very hard, worth keeping that much of an open heart. And that's one of the many things that's worth building a bit of armour up about Mm. emotionally for me. I mean, is to not, or at least like, that first emotional response to notes on anything that feels like your personality and or your baby, do you know what I mean? Then that let that pass and then come back with a level head and all your all my natural cynicism still, but at least be able to have a neutral and be able to, I suppose more like a lawyer, argue for or against whatever note they've given you and work mm. out whether you can bin it off entirely, work out whether it pissed you off because it is a bit true, work out whether, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's an absolute lottery. And even when you do work out who you are on stage, that might change. Uh, because you change, we're all changing, like, all the time. Uh, and um, m- the most um, the most annoying thing I've heard along that lines was a friend who's, I don't know if they're represented, a, a friend who was looking for an agent to represent them had a meeting with an agent who sat them down and said, um, the problem is, let's call them Joe Bloggs. The problem is, I don't know what a Joe Bloggs fan looks like. And they were like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still working on building up <laughs> the numbers yeah, on that yeah, front. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I wanted an agent, really. And this person is fucking funny and they put the work in, like enough said, basically. And this agent said to them, well, look, here's an example. Do you know Jess Fosterkew? No one knew who she No one knew what a Jess Fosterkew fan looked like. And then she did this show in 2019 called Hench. And we were like, oh, that's that's who she is. We get it now. And she finally decided to show us who she is and we all get it now. And I thought, fuck you. Fuck you for saying that to a new comedian as if he, he then phoned me and he's not new, but like some, he he phoned me and said, so can I ask what you did? Like, what did you do before that show that was different? That suddenly did you go right now? Finally, do you know what? I am going to show them who I am. I was like, did I fuck? There was a show before that that was as good that mm. no one gave two shits about because I wasn't buzzy and exciting. It is not meritocratic. She's made it sound like I made a choice and like mm. this is just fair and that the harder yeah. you work, the better you do. It's bull- That is bullshit. Sorry. The harder you work, the better you'll get faster. But it doesn't... It, there's also a whole world of luck. Oh, and yeah. like there just came a time where... And it, there came a time, there came 12 years or 10 years of slowly being more and more on people's radar. And then I I genuinely, I, I, you know, I started doing a podcast called The Guilty Feminist that lots of people listen to. There was some momentum yeah. building and I did the next show I was always going to have done anyway about what was happening in my life at that point anyway. And... I didn't do anything new. I didn't do anything magic just because they worked out where they could put me. Yeah. Yeah. They were open-minded and like the world was in a place to listen to a woman being angry on stage or listen to a woman talking about the themes I was talking about in that show, which perhaps the world hadn't been ready. I I hit upon something zeitgeisty. Bullshit. Did I make a decision to get famous or to get successful and don't tell comedians that that's what you do and that it's on them. It's like saying to someone, well, 
that it's not the diet doesn't work it's because you couldn't stick to it no no one could like stop pretending that this is just a case of I, I don't know it really made me angry it really made me annoyed you, you can only control what you can control all you can do is enjoy the ride and just write yeah. perform write perform enjoy as much of it as you can enjoy because the rest of it I genuinely think you're whistling in the wind and you're rolling with the punches just keep making work if you love making work and I don't know if this sits comfortably with you but I feel like your voice is quite distinctive actually um and I think your style is distinctive and I I would imagine newer comedians or maybe younger ones would maybe try and imitate I don't know if you would I'd be so honoured I'd be f- yeah. so flattered if as a young comedian listening please <laughs> please try but what if you recognised it and was like oh shit that is not what I'm about <laughs> yeah funny, isn't it yeah, yeah I can um I can imagine it misfiring big time I think yeah I, of course yeah yeah there's a you must have seen, have you seen other acts I've do seen that a little bit I see well I tell you what I have seen as I've seen younger acts do um like try and do what turns out what sort of seems to come over as like a mixture of postmodern feminism and edgelordism right okay <laughs> That's quite like, weird. do you know what I mean so rather than talking about like oh like I won't obviously won't name them but like I suppose like I try and tread a line between my honest thoughts and feelings and what I know I should be thinking and feeling yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's the most succinct way of putting it. And that I, there was a young comedian who basically had like this kind of like, you know, bit, a sort of sassy bit about like how kind of horrific it is that women still don't feel safe walking home in the dark. Mm. Um, and you're like, where's this going? You know, and the punchline was, I want to get raped. <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah, that's, I don't get, I don't, I think you've missed yeah you don't this is why people get upset about all rape jokes is because you've done one that is genuinely pro-rape yeah um, <laughs> yeah in you know be... you talk to this person socially and they're like i'm a woman's woman Mm-mm-mm. you know yeah. <laughs> deaths then yeah deaths. I, I was gonna ask you about deaths whether so i watched silence of the nanas yeah i think I, maybe on next up i can't remember um yeah. and i was like i wonder if that's the one um because that is just objective. that's the most fruitful one. I yeah, got an entire show out of it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it was at the store. It was a five minutes at the store. Uh, for the first time ever, I had two um, some agents coming to see me. A pair of agents coming to see me together. Uh, my mum was up, so she came. Not a big fan of comedy. Doesn't really understand comedy. Uh, she um, has a thing where it's this, and this is meant entirely kindly, um, but she cannot think of a worse job. She, okay. the idea of doing what we do is so disgusting to her that I, when I said to her once, I've got a gig at the Royal Albert Hall, she genuinely went, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, she cannot, like, she, she, there's pity. She is heavily, wow. heavily, heavy feelings of pity and worry. Um, so she was there just to up the stakes yeah. a bit more. Uh, uh, it, it felt like a trial. The first one had been fine. It certainly wasn't a smasher, but enough for them so you can have another five in six months or whatever it was at the time. So th- this was that second five. I made the biggest rookie error. I think I was uh, coming to the end of one of the many diets. I was always on a diet. 
and I was coming, you know, I've probably coming to the um, the bite point where the weight started to go back up at one of those a night. But at the time was thinking I was probably in a one dress size down. So I'd gone shopping for clothes I would never normally wear. I think you can wear whatever you want on stage. Obviously, you can wear whatever you fucking want on stage, but you've got to feel comfortable. You can't be thinking about what you're wearing and what you look like and what you're wearing. Otherwise, you will behave self-consciously. And actually, mm. you won't be thinking about your material um I kept changing what I was going to do as part of the set I'd gone the outfit I bought I would I just still wouldn't wear it I wouldn't wear it I've never been more happy in my body than I've ever been as now and I wouldn't wear it now there were like these black hot pants with tights and heels and then like a baggy stripey t-shirt like kind of like a bit of a like a bit like a pirate like yeah but like a pirate, oh, a pirate and a whore. And I mean them both <laughs> as compliments. But it was a confu- it was a confused set. It, it probably had a few one-liners in the middle, even though it was only five minutes. Um, yeah. probably with me saying, "Here's my one-liners bit." Um, it. <laughs> I like it, that. Uh, I do not. I didn't. I, the, and audiences didn't. Um, it. I. It never worked that either. Audience would go, "You what? All oh, right." <laughs> even the kindest audience would have to it's almost like I sort of forcibly grinding them to a halt to listen to something obviously written and then trying to yank them back out into something and then (laughs) pretend it wasn't written again what what anyway it was a death it was a horrific death I I was so self-conscious on stage I was just rushing sweating rushing aggressive didn't feel comfy ever on stage. No laughter at all from the audience. They looked like a mixture of scared and annoyed. Um, a man heckled, you look like a bloke. In the current climate, if someone heckled that, the whole audience would be like, I think generally in London would be like, because oh. mm. it's a much spicier topic, gender, yeah. <laughs> than it was then. <laughs> in that moment on stage, you've got to find it funny. You've got to find whatever they say funny up until the point where you don't. And then actually that's when you leave the stage or they leave. Mm. For me, that's like a, there's a different point there. If you can find what they said funny, because they were probably trying to be funny. Um, and I now know that's how you deal with it. That's how you deal with any heckle is you find it funny. It's a, it's how you re- kick, make you um, maintain power in that situation, status in that situation. In this situation, First heckle I've ever had. First heckle I'd ever had about my appearance. And I um, I just openly stopped and got sad. <laughs> like, what did I you I just well stopped off? and got really sad. Like, really. it. I, I felt like they basically, I just stopped and let them watch the knife slink, sink in. And yeah. then didn't address it. Just carried on with the dying material. I made that five minutes for like a fucking lifetime. It was so awful. And I came off stage and I went straight over to, um, I went straight over to the booth because at the time, no one, you know, no, we didn't all have, this. Is, I'm so old that we didn't all have phones with cameras on. I don't think there were camera on my phone. I don't think anyone did then. And mm. I went over to the booth because it was one of the few gigs where they give you a DVD. <laughs> Again, that dates it of your five minutes. And I was like, you know, I might, oh, this could be, I'll still take the DVD. And I went over and as they were like burning the DVD for me, um, the girl behind who'd been doing the sound, who was like 18, you know, and I was already in my mid twenties was like, I have to say, I do get it that that man heckled. And I think because you do sound like a man. So you are going to have to address that. If you are going to look and sound like a man, you probably will need to point out that you're not a man. That's that. Okay. It's so sad. 
Yeah, sorry, it's really sad. It started before you got on stage then? Yeah. Do you think it was lost? The stakes were too high. I'd let too much be riding on those five minutes. It made me start a conversation with myself about like, what do I think about if I'm going to get comments on my body and why and who's in like, you know, it really, it was... I did learn an awful lot from it. Yeah. I learned to say to mum, she doesn't have to watch my stand. It's not going to be, <laughs> like, I don't really want my parents there. Yeah. I don't, well, it doesn't make them bad parents. It's not for them. I've had that yeah. reminded again and again. I've had that. I've had, you know, tour shows where I grew up and thought, why am I doing this? It's like confessional TED talk if you come and do it to people where you know everyone in the audience, even if there's a hundred of them. Like, it's weird. Um, stand up is meant for me to be hurled at strangers into an abyss. Mm-hmm. It's not a one to one conversational exercise where one of you has to do loads of listening you're the one doing all the talking the bit when you're describing the stakes being high that Mm. felt like such a description of where I'm at and literally a gig I've Mm. just had and I think I'm like that age that you were then do you know what I mean yeah in comedy years or whatever and just the so there's agents there you work you were switching and swapping material. Like, yeah. I've just had a very similar experience with that, where I was like, should I say this? And I was like, in my head, I was kind of going, I know that this isn't sensible, but it's just, yeah, it just sounds like a, yeah, perfect storm, really. Is there a certain location where you think, I don't, I don't want you to write off the whole of Birmingham yeah. or whatever, but uh, where you're like, uh, nah. Like, Liverpool for me is like, just never have a good time. Cursed, yeah. Yeah, cursed. I think Liverpool's is lots of people's actually. It's hard. It's um, a tough if, place. If there's um, I think if you're not from Liverpool, Liverpool and Glasgow have always been tribal. Mm. So I yeah, maybe I always thought it's because I was a, a bit posh and southern sounding as well, but like up against it. The places I stink out um are um rich white places full of incredibly wealthy um um people often groups of men over the age i would say of 60 mm. they hate me men called things like keith that's yeah. my dad's name um absolutely fucking hate what i do and the women don't love it either they can't if they've got lots if they it's tories but I know there are other Tories. So hashtag not all Tories. I think I've yeah. maybe made some other Tories, some younger Tories laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people, uh, they can't work out what I am. I'm not um I'm not posh, I'm not scum, I'm not mm-hmm. straight, I'm not a lesbian, mm-hmm. I'm not um I'm not like a standard tired mum, mm-hmm. but I'm not like uh, I'm not moaning. I'm not just moaning about being a mum in an obvious like. But I'm also not like, oh my Woo. god, my kid. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, they cannot fucking work me out, and they hate it. They hate well, it. I think the wives hate it because they sometimes don't want their husband to see that side of them. Do you ever think that? Like, the yeah. wives are like. I would like to laugh at this, but then my husband will, I don't know, you know, when they're really tradition, it's just a bit weird. Yeah. Like, Oh, like I think there's sort of their wives will be the sort of women who'll say things like, well, I don't think women should use a C word. Yes. Their wives will still be the sort of women who say, I don't think women are that funny. Even yes. though they're in a friendship group where they're all cracking each other up every yeah, single fucking yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. 
I am. Um, where are the places that are cursed? Harrogate, horrid. Oh, Tunbridge yeah. Wells and Kent. Blech, fuck off. Um, <laughs> these will never be on any tour list of mine. No, and well, the places, not now. <laughs> no, not now. I'm saying them out loud. I'm not fucking embarrassed. Fuck them. No. The places most recently there was one called Oldborough in Suffolk. Possibly the last like. That was, and I've been on a holiday there. It's really, it's on the beach. <laughs> it's lovely. It's got like four shops, and one of them's a lost town. That's its vibe. There we go. Yeah. There, I got booked for a preview for my last tour show. It was suspiciously well paid. That is always a red flag. Are you being paid four hundred pounds for a preview? It's something's going wrong. Something's going to go wrong. Doesn't matter what level you're at. If Mickey Flanagan can be being paid four hundred pounds for a preview, he'll go. Matt, what's the catch? You yeah. learn the better paid a gig. The same corporates. Anything, the more they're paying you, it's because it's going to be a fucking shower of shit. I got there. It was on suspiciously late. I wasn't on until 10. And um turns out I was headlining what had been for the rest of the full day, a classical music festival. Half the audience were asleep. There were about three women. The rest were all pink men over the age of 60. Um, And it was, oh, I said out loud, what's funny is um, you hate me and I hate you. I said that during the gig. One man just kept shouting. One man kept going, well, you know Stuart Lee. <laughs> oh, shit. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm a completely no. different human being. Thank God I'm not doing an impression. Yeah. Would you like me to have come and done an impression of Stuart Lee? Yeah. <laughs> I said that in the style of Stuart Lee. They, um... <laughs> Did you repeat they, it? They, it was, yeah. <laughs> Would you? Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee. <laughs> I think once you've got to the point where you're touring and you have got people who know who you are, um, actually the deaths hurt more. Really? Because even though where I can just, un like with this Thorner one, I, um, the, the audience had um, been an amazing audience for everyone else who was on and everyone else who was on was a man. <laughs> and they'd, but they'd had lots of different styles of comedy. And yeah. some have been brilliant and some have been very sort of like fine and they'd decked themselves. They had loved it. And I was closing. I was excited to get on that stage. And within seconds of being on stage, I was like, I'm not getting the same. Yeah. You're... And I didn't let myself say, even now, you know, I just turned 40. Even now, I daren't say to the promoters, because those bookers book huge and brilliant festivals, I daren't, I, I still wasn't brave enough to say, I think they hated me because I was a woman. Because I don't want you to think I'm not also prepared to. I still got it going, mm -hmm. but the fucking shift I had to put in compared to every other act. Yeah. And there were still people in there who were never going to enjoy anything I could ever say. I couldn't win with some of them, mm -hmm. but I got the younger half of them. My favourite thing about that um, gig was that we got driven from Leeds Station to this village by people in big, their big fancy cars, local volunteers. And um, uh, all of the different people driving us kindly to this gig all told us the same story about the big fight they all have year on year because they don't want street lighting in their village. It's wow. a precious, beautiful village and we don't want street lighting, which is obviously great news for the women. <laughs> walking alone at night through their village. But we got this story from the lady driving us and it was all fine. The other comedians were in another car who got the same story from them. A very passionate man who was driving them, telling them, we don't need a street. Every year, we, the council proposed, and every year we come together and say, we don't want it. And he was telling them that as he drove into the back of another car. 
I there are comedians I can't have a good gig in front of. Yeah, that's one I've had a lot. Comedians, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to name them. Daniel Kitson. Oh. oh. Yeah, that's the most famous yeah. one for me. What every time you've gigged with him? I will stink it out. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be emceeing, and I'll play to silence. He's always right. like me either. So when you see him coming, you're like, oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what about any spaces, like if you see a dance floor or anything like that? No, I don't or, want to do it. Like, you won't do it? Don't with don't do it. I did all that. I've done all that. I've done that. Yeah. I remember doing a corporate, for I think, for £50 at a Christmas party on a dance floor where the audience were on trestle tables over 100 metres away. And... um. I think I did my 10 minutes to, they just chatted over and some of them yeah. were already like virtually fucking, they were hammered. Like just, they were just far, far away, but I just, I wanted my 50 quid. So I said the words into the air and yeah. the MC was doing the same thing. And this guy went on in the middle spot who did, he held up little drawings as part of his act. And obviously they couldn't see or hear him. No one was looking <laughs> at him. And it was a Christmas do and he started chanting, fuck you cunts. Fuck this! No one's even looking at me. Throwing all his paintings on the floor. That was the best bit of the night. I still now eat a bit of shit, you know. I still occasionally do a gig. I still do a gig sometimes for people who gave me some of that worst advice back in the day. Because actually, I made loads of mistakes early on. They were making mistakes early on. People make mistakes. It's all fine. And equally, I think it is worth wherever you're at keeping your hand in with like a normal gig because you can get to the point where you think you're sort of owed an audience who already know who you are and are already on board with what you're going to do. And it, 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 you, I think you really should keep doing normal gigs, but this we're lucky. We don't have to go and do horrible bear pits. Mm. You can just do nice gigs, midweek gigs and charity gigs and the nice weekend clubs or just MC them. As I said, like not just as if MC is easy, but you know, you're off and on and you can keep it conversational. And that's a muscle that you need to keep working. That's not something that I don't think that's like riding a bike, particularly. I think you do need to keep yeah, uh, working on that forever. I had a gig where somebody had, had a death and he came back to the agreement and he wasn't in a good way, you know, in terms of there was some big mental health stuff going on, some addiction stuff going on. I now know I didn't at the time. But, and he had had a horrible death with horrible, that horrible, when someone gives, and I, Oh God, I do not want to curse this, but he'd had that that heckle, just a very sincere, halfway through an absolute death of someone going, "You are not funny," someone right. just really meaning that. It was in Dorking, another place full of Tory cunts. Yeah. Um, and he had he'd come back to the green room, and it was tears, it was pain, it was oh. agony, and that was like, well, this one is a, I want to hold you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it. I understand. You come away and you think you don't like me as a person. That's the problem with stand-up. When stand-up doesn't work, you think, well, you don't... That's not just my stuff you don't like. When you're a confessional stand-up who talks about things from their life, yeah. it's really hard not to feel like you've just come away with someone saying, I hate you. Yeah, I totally agree. If they didn't laugh. But actually, that's not what it's about. I mean, actually, for me and Thorna, it is. But they're actually, I'm able to come away and go... I haven't te done anything technically wrong. I'm not bad at my job. Everybody doesn't have to love everybody. And everybody has, doesn't have to find humour in the same things. Those people can be, there might be, I imagine those people in that room and me will all laugh out loud at Vicar of Dibley. But then other than that, we won't have anything in common humour-wise. Yeah. They'll find some of the things I find funny disgusting. 
and offensive mm. or like mm. that's just not my opinion where's the comment yeah you know it, mm. it's fine we're all mm. plodding there's room for us all on this planet it's fine yeah that's so nice to kind of well not that this is a counseling session but it's nice ah. to, to take that away and just be like yeah I'm not for everyone that was me chatting to Jessica Foster Q. Oh my gosh. Hope I didn't sound too Gwenny. I was overjoyed. I was I was buzzing. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a fan. So what? I'm a fan. Jessica Foster Q is on tour next year. Her tour show is called Metal. I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. If she's coming near you, get a ticket. If she's not, travel and go and see her. You will have a brilliant, brilliant night and you will you'll laugh so hard hope you're still enjoying the podcast Marrowheads. I want to do them more frequently but I juggle it with doing stand-up myself. Kids, always kids, they need feeding. See you next time Marrowheads.